When you think of worship, what does that look like? Do you think of a church building or maybe a cathedral with beautiful stained glass? Maybe you think of singing songs or hearing a sermon. My name is Keegan Peck, and this is the Odyssey Home. Maybe your thought of worship is just as mine has always been. That worship is something done in a church setting. And when thinking of worship in scripture, maybe you're like me and think of examples related to the temple or tabernacle. Maybe you think of animal sacrifices or maybe of the New Testament church and them meeting in homes. But what if we rewind? What if we go all the way back before the churches, before the temples, before the animal sacrifices? What if we go all the way back to the beginning, to the garden? If things were perfect then, and this was before sin entered the world, then might there be something we could grasp from the relationship between Adam and Eve and God? Now, I don't want to stretch Scripture farther than it's meant to go, and I would certainly never want to add to the inspired words that were written. However, there is much we often miss, especially for those of us who have been Christians for a long time. We've heard these stories and read these passages a lot. But when we read intentionally, as though we're reading it and hearing these words for the first time, Sometimes things stand out that we never noticed before. In Genesis chapter 3, we find the temptation of Adam and Eve and them disobeying God for the first time by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then, in verses 8 and 9, it says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? What's interesting is that Adam and Eve heard God walking in the garden. Now there's nothing to suggest how often he did this, but Adam and Eve heard God walking, and they knew it was God. So it couldn't have been the first time that it happened. And just think about the relationship, the closeness, 
the oneness with God they must have experienced. They were that close with God. And everything was perfect at that time. So I wonder, was that all God wanted from the beginning? Just a relationship with us? To walk with us? For us to walk with Him? To have our heart? There's nothing else mentioned about what they were supposed to do to worship Him. In fact, nothing else they were supposed to do at all. They were given one command not to eat from the tree of knowledge, but that was it. And before they disobeyed, their hearts were pure and belonged fully to Him. So maybe just loving God and walking with Him was all He ever wanted. Maybe that was the purest form of worship. If we continue to Genesis 4, we find the account of Cain and Abel. This is after Adam and Eve had to be removed from the garden, and they and their children had to work the ground and the animals to be able to have what they needed to live. Verses 3 through 5 says, So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. What first stands out to me is that, between Adam and Eve leaving the garden and this passage, there is nothing recorded about God asking them for offerings or sacrifices. Now, it's always possible this wasn't recorded, but I'm betting if it was something important, like God saying He required this, it would have been recorded. And if that's the case, then why do Cain and Abel offer sacrifices to God? Maybe Adam and Eve told them about the relationship they used to have with God. Maybe they set the example by first giving offerings to God out of gratitude for what He had still continued to do for them, even though they messed up and couldn't be in the garden anymore. Whatever the reason, Cain and Abel decided to bring God offerings. And here's what we sometimes allow the bias of our previous knowledge to miss. Cain was bringing offerings to the Lord, and it doesn't seem that God commanded it. It would appear that he was doing it out of his own free will. Which, when we read that God wasn't happy with it, maybe we can start to understand why he was angry and upset. But God talks to him in verses 6 and 7 when he says, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. But you must master it. So God warns Cain that he isn't doing what is right, and that everything would be better if he does. But what's the problem? The only thing mentioned is Cain's offering to the Lord. So, what's wrong with that? Just because it's not the best of his crops, 
Is it really that big of a deal? Is all of this just about who's giving a better gift to God? Or is it a reflection of the heart? Is that what it all comes down to? Abel was giving God the best that he had, the very best of his flocks. He didn't hold back from God. But Cain, for some reason, just couldn't give the best of what he had. Maybe he was worried he wouldn't have enough. Maybe he thought he should keep the best of what he had worked hard for. Maybe it was another reason entirely. But we can see that these reasons all come down to not giving God what he really wanted. Cain's heart. And we know, unfortunately, how this story plays out. That Cain killed his own brother. And though the immediate reason seems to be out of jealousy, the deeper reason was because his heart wasn't right. It didn't belong to God. Which is what God tried to warn him about. But Cain just couldn't do it. He couldn't give God what he really desired. His trust. His devotion. His heart. If we fast forward to Genesis 11, we are introduced to Abraham, or Abram, as he's known at the time. There's a lot that happens in Abraham's life that's recorded, and I encourage you to go read Genesis 11-25 through 25 for all the details of Abraham's life. However, for the sake of brevity, I just want us to be reminded of the deep desire that he and his wife Sarah have for a child. But we are told that Sarah is barren and unable to have children. But in their old age, God promises them a son and a whole nation from that child. And in Genesis 21, he delivers on his promise. And then, in chapter 22, we find this. Now it came about, after these things, that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. If you're Abraham, you have to be asking, What in the world is going on? Why would God ask me to do this? It's completely out of his nature, and it doesn't even make any sense. Could we have done what God asked him to do? I don't know about myself, but Abraham did. Let's keep reading, starting at verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. 
Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Abraham was preparing to do what God had asked. And can't you just hear the distress and pain in his words? This had to be almost overwhelming, but he was still preparing to do it. And in verse 8, he tells Isaac that God will provide the lamb for the offering. I can't help but wonder if he was still holding out hope that God would change his mind and provide another way. But here's something else that we need to notice. Did you catch what Abraham said to the others with him? He gave them instruction and said, We will worship and return to you. He says, Worship. The Hebrew word here is shakah, which means to bow down, to humbly beseech, to do reverence, to worship. Abraham is intentional in his speech when he says he is worshiping God. But why does he use this word, especially under the circumstances? Let's keep reading. Then when they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood, and bound his son Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood, Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad, and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham didn't know what God was going to do. It seems, based on verse 8, that he might have been hoping and praying God would intervene. But he didn't know if he would. So he was preparing to do the unthinkable. And why? Because God asked him to. And to what end? What was God's purpose in all of this? To test Abraham's heart and know if it belonged fully to him. God, it appears, ultimately just wants our hearts. It seems that's all he's ever wanted from the very beginning. Before the law or commandments, before the temples, before any of that, God just wanted us. He wanted us to love him the way he loved us. This thought also causes me to view sin a little differently. Instead of a sin just involving breaking a rule, what I'm really doing is saying to God, I'm going to choose something other than you. And I wonder how much that hurts him every time. But even in spite of us choosing our own way and rejecting him, he continually sent prophets to try to bring us back to him. And eventually, as an eternal solution, he sent his son to die in our place. 
Only, he didn't have someone else to step in for his son. He had to sacrifice his son in order to pay for our mistakes, so that he could once again have that special relationship with us that he wanted from the beginning. There are so many facets of worship, and, if anything, perhaps we've just scratched the surface. However, in going all the way back to some of the first accounts of mankind and seeing their interactions with God, maybe we get a better idea of how things were meant to be before our rejection of our Creator. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 say, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Everything we do can be worship. If we give Him our heart, then every action can be a proclamation of that fact. Every interaction, every thought, every word. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Think about that. The Spirit of God dwells in us if we follow Him. And Paul refers to our bodies as places of worship. So we just have to decide to whom our temples belong. Are they places of worship for other gods? For ourselves? Or for our Creator? Our actions proclaim who is worshipped. They proclaim who has our heart. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We proclaim Christ and the love of God wherever we go. Our lives have the potential to be a living testament to the power and grace of God. Every word, every action, everything we do is a sermon preached from the pulpit of our heart. Every action can be a song sung for His praise. Singing songs of praise to God in church is worship. Spending time alone with God is worship. Doing an act of kindness for someone is worship. Everything done to glorify our Creator and obey His words is worship. So how will you worship God today? This week's topic was requested by Mandy in Lubbock. It challenged me and caused me to look at things differently than I ever had before. So thank you for that, Mandy. If you have a topic you'd like to hear covered, have suggestions for the show, or just want to say hi, 
drop me a note over at theodysseyhome.com. That's the Odyssey, O-D-Y-S-S-E-Y, home.com. This episode was written and produced by me, Keegan Peck, with theme music by Amy Ferris and additional music selections from Epidemic Sound. See you next time, and thanks for listening.